want to welcome you to the Big Tent. Um, thank you for being here. I'm honored to welcome the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and hopefully uh, Governor Jennifer Granholm to the Big Tent. Um, at the outset, I want to express my deep appreciation to both the Speaker and the Governor uh, for moderating this conversation and coming on this call to continue our um, speaker series. Um, just a few housekeeping items. This is a non-press event, so please don't record or photograph this call. We are recording it and we will provide a link on our website. Uh, speaker Pelosi and hopefully Governor Granholm and maybe Jim Himes <laughs> will speak and then we'll open it up yeah. for questions. So please put your questions in the chat and they will be asked. Um, this is a very special spotlight Wednesday for me. As I have known Speaker Pelosi for 32 years, Speaker Pelosi serves the 12th Congressional District in San Francisco. And as some of you know, I was hired in 1988 as her scheduler in this office. I was 23. My mother passed away soon after I started work. And not surprising, Speaker Pelosi and her entire family took me as I grew older, my children as well, under their wing. We are extraordinarily grateful for their friendship. Speaker Pelosi's eldest daughter, Nancy Curran, continues to be one of my best friends. And every month, it seems, I'm sending a Speaker Pelosi meme to her. In fact, you may remember the photo of the speaker standing up in a room filled with all men, one being the President of the United States. And there was Madam Speaker dressed in, of course, blue, pointing her finger at him. As soon as the photo came out, I texted Nancy Curran and simply wrote in full caps, this is your mother. Do you know she's trending on Twitter? Do you know she's our hero? Do you know she's an icon? Make sure she stays safe. Nancy Curran immediately responded, yes, that's my mother. And yes, she's determined. And yes, she's a fighter. And there's not much I can do. Or those are the words to the effect. Looking back, this text exemplifies what the speaker taught me 32 years ago and what con she continues to emulate in her service to our country. She has never shied away from standing up literally and figuratively because she knows her voice matters because she's standing up for us. And behind the gracious smile, charming and pleasant demeanor, color coordinated outfits with matching shoes and now masks, as Wolf Blitzer on CNN found out last night, you don't mess with Madam Speaker when you're wrong. And so, Madam Speaker, I speak for all of us on this call when I express my appreciation and immense gratitude for everything you have done to raise our voices, move us forward under a leadership that unifies us rather than divides us, speaks truth to power, and that places love over hate. There's simply no one else better to lead us through this moment, and we welcome you under our tent. And yeah, in plan, I'm um, to turn the call over to the governor and the speaker, and I look forward to the discussion. Um, but I wasn't sure, Dave, if you're able to get the governor on the call. We're working on it, Susan. Okay. Well, why so, don't I just thank you in the meantime. Uh, I'm a big fan of the governor's. I can't wait till she comes. So I want to make sure she has plenty of time to share her, her vision and her questions with all of us. Uh, but let me say how proud I am of Susan. Uh, I know her mother would be very proud. Her mother was my friend for many years uh, before we, uh, for her passing. Uh, Susan Lehman comes from a very civic-minded, patriotic, all-American family, and she carries on that tradition uh, so beautifully. Uh, I'm honored to have this invitation to be with you on the, uh, Spotlight Wednesday. I just came from Sojourner Truth Tuesday, which was yesterday, to have uh, our project of Sojourner Truth 
a women's vote project to reach out to women of color and all women to make sure that in this 100th anniversary of women having the right to vote, uh, the Sojourner Truth was recognized for the suffragist, for the abolitionist. She was a slave and she did all these other things. Uh, I had the privilege of having a statue to her in the, uh, in the uh, capital of the United States. It was a great thing. Now, here we are all carrying on that tradition. So many women taking interest in how we go forward. I'm honored, well, it's personally satisfying for me to see Susan. I'm gonna hear about the children. Uh, my daughter was maid of honor in her wedding. So we all very closely um, um, uh, linked in all of this but our link is more about those children and the future. And as a mom and as a grandmother, and I know so many of you are moms as well, or members of families that care about each other, that you know that everything that we're doing here is about the future. And our responsibility of the future is to make it better. And making it better means doing it in the most unifying way, to do it in a way that brings people together. In one of our previous get-togethers, I talked about our guidance from our founders, e pluribus unum, from anyone, from anyone. They didn't imagine how many we would be or how different we would be from each other, uh, but they knew that we had to be one nation, indivisible. And that is um, how we expect to win this election and carry forward, not in a tit-for-tat way, but in a, in a greatness of America way. And so I'm very eager to have a conversation with Governor Granholm. Don't tell her I told you this, but you, you know, uh, when she was governor of Michigan, I was so thinking how wonderful it would be if we could change the constitution so that somebody who wasn't born in the United States could be president of the United States because she, she was born in Canada. Um, she is a spectacular leader in our country. And it's an honor to be with her. It's an honor and personal privilege to be with Susan. It's a special treat to be with each and every one of you. We've been together in Susan's home, some of us, under the auspices of this um, Big Tent USA. Uh, tonight, though, it's Spotlight Wednesday. You've really raised all of our voices through your courage, honestly, and ability to stand up to what has been going on for the past four years. Um, how do you see this? you know, sort of coming along in the next 20 days? What, what, do you, what are you looking for and what should we be doing um, to help win in November 3rd? Well, I answer in two ways, on the political side and on the policy side. On the policy side, we continue our, our negotiation and hopefully we will have a COVID relief package. It's hard though, because central to a relief package is to crush the virus. And as you know from here, from what we've seen so far, there has not been any acceptance of a strategic plan to do so. So that's one of the obstacles that we have, but I'm optimistic and hopeful that something can be done. And that'll be hopefully before the election. Uh, people are in need, but what I say to them is help is on the way. We want it to be bigger and better, and it will be retroactive. Oh, there she is. <laughs> <laughs> Madam Governor, so I, I was just answering Susan's question about the next 20 days, policy and politically. I did policy now. Politically, <laughs> politically, politically, 20 days. Every day has to count. 
putting one good day in front of another. No wasted time, no underutilized resources, and no regrets the day after the election that we could have done just a little bit more. And so to all of you who are either texting or calling or sending postcards or organizing others to do so, tell your volunteers and friends who are doing this, you are our VIPs. You are very important people, our volunteers in politics, because you have the power. Nothing happens that is great for our country. We can have our message, we can have the money, but if we don't have the mobilization, it's just a political conversation. And that mobilization, that money, and that messaging, which so many of you have helped us uh, garner in the past, is um, what the three-legged stool that our candidates stand on. And we have candidates, both incumbents, who have just demonstrated great leadership, brought us into the majority, and the, um, uh, the red to blue are new candidates. This is not necessarily a political evening uh, in terms of soliciting support in terms of, but if you can volunteer, understand the power the power of that. Today, we would win. We would win the House, we would win the Senate, we would win the White House, but the election isn't today. So as I said, one good day in front of another. Jim and Mary are such a fabulous team in Washington, uh, representing the district. Of course, Mary and, and Jim are well known to you and you, I know the regard with which they are held, but I want you to know how respected they are uh, in the Congress of the United States. Jim Himes is the leader in the, uh, the New Democratic uh, Caucus in the Congress, and he is an important member of the Intelligence Committee. Uh, he is, again, respected when he speaks, people listen. He brings his experience from the private sector uh, into our debate so that we have a clearer understanding of the relationship between public and private. And again, he's leading the way in how we can make our economy more equitable, respecting that we are a capitalist uh, economy. Uh, uh, capitalism is, our, uh, is the system, uh, but how we can make it work in a better way, in a more equitable way for many more people. Uh, he is just remarkable. I remember when he ran for office the first time from the business community to the public arena, bringing just his knowledge in that regard, but very deep values about America's families uh, to, uh, to the Congress of the United States. Uh, okay, are you gonna take any questions? Uh, Jim, are you gonna, Mary? Hi, Mary. Hello, Madam Speaker. Hi, dear. Um, well, why don't I, I've got a list of questions here that I think have come in and Madam Speaker, great to see you again. Um, before I get to the questions, um, you, you, uh, Susan did a wonderful introduction, but I, I need to give you a little bit of the inside scoop on Speaker Pelosi because I these <laughs> days uh, am on uh, Zoom or in person with her every, uh, pretty much every day. And, twice, and twice today. Twice today. <laughs> um, because I think you all know politics is a combination of uh, preserving and advancing values and actually transacting operational, uh, getting stuff done. And um, my, I, I, I can't express to you uh, the extent to which Speaker Pelosi unusually combines both of those things. Her values are deeply rooted in who she is and how she was brought up and, and uh, in us as Democrats. 
Uh, but let's face it, there's a lot of people who have those values and those intentions who don't know how to move things forward. And I don't think I've ever seen an operator quite as sophisticated in this stuff uh, as Speaker Pelosi. And we know that. You don't need to hear me tell you that. We know that because she is one of the few political leaders that our current president respects. Uh, and, and so much so, actually, that he won't negotiate one-on-one -on -one with her. He sends his Treasury Secretary uh, to negotiate with Nancy Pelosi, and we see that every single day. Um, but, um, Speaker, there's a, there's a bunch of questions. And, of course, um, before you joined us, there was a, um, a lot of chatter about your now iconic conversation with Wolf Blitzer uh, of yesterday. And I've heard you talk about this. But the question uh, that came in was, um, uh, what are the prospects for a deal before the election? And um, as I read it here, how can you show voters that the House Democrats are doing everything they can um, to deliver a relief package to them in this tough, to this tough time? Thank you. I appreciate the question. Just to touch on Wolf for a moment, I said afterward, you had your, your favorite guest on today, yourself. You asked the questions and you answered your questions. <laughs> but that's yesterday. Here we go forward. I, um, I'm very optimistic that we can have something before Election Day. Uh, I said to some of you earlier, Jim, was, we were on a Zoom earlier on with some of the members, the leadership members in the Congress, and I said, um, that uh, our message at home has to be help is on the way we want it bigger and better we want it safer and it will be retroactive and i, I mentioned earlier that the the the, pro the challenge we have is that we have a white house that does not believe in science it just doesn't won't respect the suggest the recommendations of science and now for all these months we've had the missed opportunity of there they are. You're going to be jealous. My Biden mask. My Biden mask. Oh. Yeah, Biden mask. <laughs> the, of, of testing, tracing, treating, separation, sanitation. Again, uh, addressing the fact that many people in the minority community are disproportionately affected by this. And none of us is safe until all of us are safe. So that is one um, obstacle we still have. I'm hoping by tomorrow morning, they may come back with a, a better, we have a strategic plan. They just, it, there's it's just, I don't know how you would describe it, but it is not up to the task. Some people think it is a reflection of their, uh, their herd uh, attitude about it. Everybody will get sick and everybody, well, because it is not a strategic plan to stop the spread. Let me also say this. Uh, when we get a vaccine with the full approval of the scientists and the, the board of advisors that advises that, we have to have confidence in it. We can't say, well, it happened under Trump, so I'm not taking, no. We have to have confidence in it. But he has to enable that to happen by not having the decision rushed for an election or influenced by politics. But we are praying for it. We don't want it one day sooner or one day later than it is effective and safe. So I, I people say, because people say, well, nothing under happens under him, I'm going to take, no. Because if people don't have trust in the vaccine, we're stuck with this crisis for a very long time to come. But there is a way to address it. And our bill is about how we honor our, our, our heroes who are fighting it on the front line, 
how we crush the virus with a scientific approach to it that everyone recommends in the scientific and academic community, how we put money in the pockets of the American people in a way that addresses their real problems. And, and there's some other aspects about elections and census and the rest that we're discussing. But I do think uh, we still, as we say to each other, why would I be talking to you if I didn't really think we would have a chance to have a bill? Um, that, that passes for humor in our, the world that we live in. So, <laughs> so in any event, I'm optimistic, but it will happen because it has to happen. And another reason I want it to happen, first and foremost, because it meets the needs of American people, today is five months since we passed this bill, which is a solution. Five months and they still have not come around to that. However, however, uh, the American people are way ahead in terms of wanting a scientific approach to it. So the antidote to all of this is science, 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 and science. The antidote to the, all the policy is vote, 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 vote. A big vote for science and for the governance uh, to make it happen for our country because whether we have a bill or not, and I'm hopeful we will, we'll still have the uh, virus the day after the election and we have to make sure uh, that we're to getting rid of it. Uh, the, um, and was there a two-pronged question or was that the first? Uh, no, I think that's it, Speaker, but I'm told that Governor Granholm is on now, so I'm gonna cede my, uh, my uh, pinch hitting to the governor if, she's, if she can hear us and if she's with us. I, I can hear you, can you hear me? Yes, yes. Mimes. Thank oh you, my God. Thank you, Mary. Beautiful, Mary. <laughs> oh my God, this has been such a technology nightmare. I am on Zoom all day, all the time. I don't know what's happening, but I so apologize for for diving in late and being on the phone. But I, I know that you're well on your way uh, through this. So thanks for allowing me to at least get my oar in the water, Madam Speaker. Thank you so much for that. Well, so you know I have a big fan just, of yours. Well, right back at you, <laughs> for sure. Um, so there was, there was an article today in the Washington Post that said that Republicans don't want to get a deal because they want a Biden administration to be unsuccessful, to move into a deep recession and then have to deal with hard austerity. Have you been hearing that as well? I think the, the President of the United States believes that he needs a deal. I see some desperation. Yesterday, his tweet was, go big or go home. You know, a week ago, it was, I'm cutting off negotiations. The next day, he saw the market go down and himself go down in the polls. So he sent Mnuchin back to the table virtually because since the infection in the White House, we don't, it's all virtual. And so, so we've been trading paper back and forth and having our conversations as recently as today and back to the table, to, so to speak, tomorrow, because the president really wants to get a, an, an agreement, but there isn't one. And what they are proposing is really takes us backward. It's really a shame because people say, well, it's close in number. That's not the point. It's the language that matters. And we've cut our bill right. way back by cutting the time back that it applies to, but then we'll have to later under President Biden put it out further. But to your point, one of the motivations for Democrats to want to have something now, first and foremost, is to meet the needs of the American people. But in addition to that, we do not want to have to be cleaning up after the elephant the day that the uh, 
Joe Biden has sworn in. We'd like to get rid of some of this now, some of the damage that they have caused, some of the, the needs that are out there, and, uh, and then we'll have to do more under Joe Biden, uh, but we won't have to do it all. But to say we shouldn't yeah. have it until January or February is to completely disregard and disrespect uh, the, the dignity of America's working families. 1,000%. Okay, so let, let me get to uh, another great strength of yours, which is, of course, building a, a bigger majority than you already have. There's a great piece in Political yesterday showing that the DCCC is on offense and may be able to expand that majority. So in 2018, you win uh, the majority because you were focused on these local issues, pocketbook issues, healthcare. Is the message similar this time? Well, our overarching message that is true. That was an aspect of our message. Our overarching message in 2018, when it was very simple, very disciplined, like a jackhammer, hammer was for the people. We were lower the cost of healthcare by lowering the cost of prescription drugs and preserving the pre-existing condition. For the people, we will have bigger paychecks by building infrastructure in a green way. And for the people, we will have cleaner government by removing the uh, special interest dark money from politics so people would have confidence in elections and in governments because their voice would be heard. Stopping the voter suppression, passing the Voting Rights Act, those kinds of initiatives, Article uh, HR 1, it, we made it House Resolution 1 because that honesty in government is so essential and fundamental. It gives people hope that things can happen without the um, uh, special interest weighing in. Then uh, our chair, who's uh, uh, our chair now, uh, also talked to the members about, or the candidates about, run as if you're running for mayor, it's about your local issues. The closer to home you come, you can have the biggest vision for America. You can know all about it and have great judgment. You can think strategically to get the job done. That's all important for leadership. But what matters to people is what is the authenticity you have in, in, in relationship to them? What is the heart? This is all up here. What is the heart to heart in terms of meeting their needs, their kitchen table needs, whether they, the education of their children, the health of their families, job security, can they stay in their home and the rest of that? And so we are a, a consumer society and the, our, our and a, a economy. So the better off everybody is, the better off everybody is. And uh, it was a successful message for us, lower healthcare costs, bigger paychecks, cleaner government. And that was overarching so that people didn't go on to too many national tangents, but instead it was, um, you know, I, my friends, I represent San Francisco in the Congress. I'm considered and Republicans spent 137,000 ads, 137,000 ads in 2018, describing me as a San Francisco liberal which I am, uh, but the San Francisco liberal message proudly is not the message that will win in Michigan, governor. So I used to say yep. in, the, in all this, what works in Michigan works in San Francisco, but what works in San Francisco right. may not work in Michigan. So we have to have a message that is not menacing, progressive, bold, but not menacing. And um, that's how you can win the electoral college that's how you win the Senate. That's how you win the House. And again, you have to govern relatively from the center anyway. I mean, again, true to your values, aggressive in getting something done for the children, 
uh, but to be unifying in how you do it. That is the perfect message. If you ask me, um, what works in Michigan works everywhere. Um, so I know that you're, and everybody on this call uh, is uh, uh, politically determined to elect Joe Biden to get a Democratic Senate and to expand your majority. So you, I know, are also focused on these targeted House races that could flip state delegations in case the election somehow goes to the House of Representatives. I know most people know this, but if it does go to the House of Representatives, the way it's counted is one vote per state. And if you have a Republican majority in Congress, even though Nancy Pelosi is the speaker and the Democrats have a majority overall, if you have, uh, if you have a majority in your state delegation that's a Republican, that one vote gets to be a Republican vote. And unfortunately, Democrats don't have a majority of states yeah. where we have majority of Democrats. So let me ask you this. Can you tell us a bit more about that strategy and the importance of preparing for that eventuality? And who are the candidates that the folks on this call should be donating to to flip yeah. those states? Well, let me just say that you uh, took us all very much down the path on that. And if you really want to talk politics, uh, then, uh, or his, I, I consider this more a civics lesson uh, than politics because it has, hasn't happened. Well, it happened with John Quincy Adams and it happened with uh, Thomas Jefferson, but it hasn't happened in the experience of the last 200 years. If the president on election night says, I won because I won the people voting, actually voting in the polling places and the vote by mail doesn't count, well, it's a ridiculous thing, but he may try to say that. Uh, but that kind of stirs up his base. It isn't real, it isn't legitimate or anything, but it stirs up his base. Thank you. So then the next thing he does, Governor, you can speak with more authority on this, say in Michigan, Joe Biden wins the, ele the, the, the election. So he wins the electoral college votes. But the Republican legislature may decide to send Trump electors to the electoral college. The Democratic governor may decide to send Biden elect electors to the electoral college. Well, let's hope they would, the Republicans wouldn't do that, but they might, but they might. So this goes to the courts, the courts take their time and um, it's chaos if that happens enough places so that Joe Biden does not get the 270 right off the bat. So then it goes to the next stage, which says, if no one has the majority of the electoral college, the House shall choose the House of Representatives voting by state. My state of California has 53 members of Congress. We get one vote. Alaska has one member of Congress. They got one vote. Michigan has 14 members of Congress. They get one vote. Montana has one, one member of Congress. They got one vote. So you see the inequity of it all. So what we uh, are, are, we were fully prepared to win the House, hold our numbers and grow from that, even though with the help of so many of you, we won of 40 seats in 18, 31 of them in Trump district. So it wasn't a foregone conclusion that we would win them all again with his name on the ballot. But nonetheless, we feel pretty good today that we would substantially win the House and help 
So then we had to focus on, well, how do we get 26 state states in the Congress, even though it's one vote per state that way. So that kind of altered our prioritizing some of the races. Well, we just had to raise more money. I mean, we didn't diminish anything we were doing elsewhere. And so the places that are in play would be Montana. And because our chair, Sherry Bustos, had to cast a wide net of great women candidates, we have 37 candidates. 30 of them are women. Beautiful diversity throughout, okay? So, so anyway, here we go with Alaska. We have a great candidate uh, for um, Elise Galvin in, in Alaska. She ran last time, only went, lost by a little bit, and she's prepared to win this time. It's hard. These are hard races, but nonetheless, we're there and we're ready. Secondly, we have Montana. In Montana, we have Kathleen Williams. Michigan is seven and seven. If we win one of those seats, then we have the majority. Otherwise, it's tied, as you see. One seat, we have two possibilities there, seven and seven. Pennsylvania is nine and nine. We have two possibilities to win one there, so that. A state like Iowa, we have three to one, but we have to hold it all. Otherwise, it's two and two, you know, or worse by that. So just from what, and then Florida is 14-13. We win one seat there, which we can hold what we have. Win one seat there, then we can take that. But all we have to do is keep him from having 26. We'd like to get 26, but we don't have to get that to keep him from becoming president. But we think that if, in, my, in doing this, let me say, this is not money that is wasted. In Alaska, we can help win the Senate. In Montana, we can help win a Senate seat. In Iowa, we can help win the Senate and the Electoral College. It's tied now on that. In Michigan, we can help win the Senate seat and the Electoral College. In Pennsylvania, we can help win the Electoral College. In Florida, the Electoral College. Minnesota is another question, uh, seat. There's a question mark because we're in court there. And that might be one of our places. So um, if you want me to, I can send you the names of those candidates. But uh, that's not what this call this is about. But it yeah. is. So we want him to know when he goes on the stage, ladies, this isn't going to sound too ladylike, but this is, it's our democracy that is at stake, right? It's our democracy that is at stake. We're getting Democratic and Republican. I, I, wouldn't we love to have John McCain or George Bush or Mitt Romney or somebody president rather than this? But anyway, he gets on stage at these rallies and he says, I'm going to win in the House. I got 26 votes. I'm going to win in the House. So he, he revs up the truth. They think he's going to win in the House. So again, the speaker has awesome power about who gets seated in the House in order to protect our democracy. Our just win, that's an operation just win, just only win, fair, just fairly win. Just win is what we will go patriotically, principled, uh, and um, make sure that the votes are on the floor. Uh, if he questions uh, the legitimacy of a, uh, all the Biden electors, We'd have to question the votes in those states for those other candidates, those Republicans, and we might not be able to seat them in the House. So this is right. just when turns into 
our patriotic, our patriotic duty. And then when he I think thinks that, that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, Governor, he thinks it's a light at the end of the tunnel for him. It ain't. It's a train coming right at him. So I hope that that would affect his behavior in, after the election to stop the skullduggery and just honor the peaceful transfer of power. Right. So, and the, of course, the best way to do that is to win big. So I'm going to turn this over to Dave Stout because I know we've got questions coming in. Dave? Yeah, uh, uh, Madam Speaker, the first question we have okay. is from uh, Lexi uh, Schmertz. I know we talked a little bit about um, ethics and HR1 uh, earlier, but she said, uh, it's been shocking to see Trump's disregard for congressional oversight, the Hatch Act, the Emoluments Clause, and so much more. Is there a plan to ensure that the executive is held accountable going forward, since it's clear we cannot rely on an individual's moral compass or respect for norms? Well, you know, the thing is, is that our founders put guardrails into the Constitution in case we had a rogue president. They never suspected that we would have a rogue president and a rogue Senate. And that is really most unfortunate because they've abdicated uh, their responsibility as a check on the executive branch. The system of checks and balances, the genius of the Constitution. And we keep coming back to the Constitution and patriotism and that. And so um, it, it, no president has ever acted in this well in our time. Uh, Nixon looks like a baby compared to what this person is doing, but nonetheless, in modern times, since most of you were born, this is highly unusual. Uh, but we do have a package to protect our democracy that relates to emolument, emoluments, and it relates to uh, families on the payroll, you know, all those kinds of things that Adam Schiff put together. And I know he was your guest recently, perhaps he spoke on that uh, then, uh, Susan, but, but he, um, he, he put this package together and it, and it has many uh, codification, passing into law, uh, safeguards to protect uh, the country, really, and to, to ensure uh, that our subpoenas are honored and the rest. Of course, a lot of it goes to the courts. And maybe I, sh I should uh, just tell you this story because people say if he, if he approves this um, nominee, if they approve it, it's going to be a hard day's night in court. Oh, I understand my daughter Nancy joined, Susan, Nancy Curran joined. When Nancy's heard me tell this story, but I think it would be interesting to you because it get, I think it gives people hope. In 1876, a woman named Elva Lockwood, she, became, she, wanted to, she wanted to practice law in front of the court. 1876, the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said no, six to three, because she was a woman. Well, she was a woman. That's what they said. They didn't, no, no, no shame. She went and lobbied Congress for three years. For three years, she lobbied Congress. And three years later, 19, 18, 1879, Governor, in 1879, she, the Congress passed a law that said, if you meet these standards, you will be accepted to practice law at the Supreme Court, whether you're a woman or a man. So um, we had a, a couple of years ago, we had a, something to honor the, the justices, the women justices on Women's History Month. And, and uh, uh, Justice Ginsburg told us about Belva Lockwood. She told us that story. And then she said, 
and this was so beautiful. She said, she was so happy because it is my favorite, she said, is my favorite example how sometimes the Congress is more in tune with the changing times and expansion of the idea of equality than the court is. And then fast forward to, the, to the, this century, in the court, the courts ruled against Lily Ledbetter in the workplace. Two thousands ruled against Lily Ledbetter. The dissent was written by Justice Ginsburg, the Ginsburg dissent. The Ginsburg dissent became the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act, passed in the Congress. It was the first bill signed by Barack Obama, President Barack Obama. Again, the Congress knew better than that. So when we worry about what happens at the court, know that there are many, many things we can correct. But back to what I said before, the antidote to all of the poison is the vote. In order for that to happen, we have to have a big turnout, a vote on the election, on election, well, leading up to election, and honesty in the count, and patriotism in the transfer of power. But I love talking about Ginsburg in any event, but it does give us hope that with a Democratic victory, we can correct some of the um, bad decisions. But I think they just made a bad decision on the census. They, in many cases, do not share our values. So that was actually the next uh, question. Uh, uh, speaking of the count, um, uh, with the decision uh, in the Supreme Court on the census, uh, what do you see as the path forward there? You know, I, I, I hesitate to talk about the dynamic in the Senate because I don't like them talking about the dynamic in the House. I mean, it is, it's its own world. And uh, I do think that the focus on health care that Joe Biden has, that we in the House have, that the senators have, is the right focus. Because she, he rushed in with this appointment. Only like within an hour of the notice being out that Ruth Bader Ginsburg had passed away, they were saying, we're going to set up the hearings for this and this and this. They were ready, you know. Don't let me go down the path of why that was wrong. But in any event, um, and they had to rush it because the December, November 10th is the day of the oral arguments on the Affordable Care Act. And they want to get in there and to overturn the Affordable Care Act, overturn the pre-existing medical condition, overturn all of the benefits of the act because they just don't believe in it. And now they're getting scared because people now support the Affordable Care Act. And now they're saying, well, we always were for pre-existing conditions. No, they aren't and not, haven't been and they aren't now. So the, the say she gets not, I don't know, because I don't know what the virus will do, what Ruth Bader Ginsburg will send down to us in the form of a fly or whatever that could change the dynamic uh, in, the, uh, uh, in that Senate committee and then on the vote on the floor. One of them said he was going to show up in a moon suit in order to vote because he's infected. Uh, but um, whatever it is, we will be ready. And whatever it is, the public will know uh, that um, uh, that they were the, out to get the Affordable Care Act. And as you heard uh, Kamala Harris speak about on the in the debate, I thought so eloquently. I hear you have one more question. We do. Thank you so much uh, for being so generous with your time, Madam Speaker. The last question comes from uh, Dorothy Davies. 
who wants to know, what is the most high impact thing each one of us as individuals can do in the next 20 days to help elect a Biden-Harris ticket, to flip the Senate, and to build a majority in the House? Well, it is about vote, vote, vote. Uh, tell your friends to vote, make sure that they do. Uh, and then um, you go to something called IWillVote.com. This is a voting site of the Democratic National Committee. And you put in your address and all, or your state in that, and it tells you what the, what the opportunities are to vote by mail or to vote in person safely. Or it tells you if you're registered, if you're not registered, it gives you whatever information you want in that regard. And the more people, so many people don't vote because they haven't voted and they don't know how to vote or am I registered? Is it the right address? I don't want to do it wrong. So just go to IWillVote.com. But again, I say to all of you who have volunteered any time and I see the array of, of actions you've taken, like 150,000 calls, something so remarkable to encourage people to vote. Elections are always closed. I mean, assume that they will be closed. When we won in 2018, before the election, people said to us, is it going to be a, a wave or a tsunami? I said, well, in either case, it's little tiny drops of water. They're all close races. 40 seats we won, 31 of them were in Trump districts, all close races. So we want to, of course, Connecticut is such a democratic state, but we still want to make sure that everybody wins uh, handily. And um, Johanna is new, and this is her first re-elect, so we want to make sure she has a, a, a good victory there. Of course, Jim Himes is safe. But nonetheless, we want to have a nice big vote coming out of Connecticut. But really, what's important is what's happening in other states. Same thing with us in California. Joe Biden will win two to one in California, maybe more. So what we do is need to call friends in other states, call friends in other states to make sure that they will have a drumbeat across America. To yesterday in Georgia, 130,000, something like that, people voted in the state of Georgia early in one day. That was remarkable. Today, in Harris County, Texas, uh, over 138,000 people voted yesterday in one day, the same day, more than the whole state of Georgia, as remarkable as Georgia was. And today, when I was on a, a, a call with the um, Texans in the, the same county, Harris County, which has Houston, uh, um, they already passed the 100,000 mark way early today. So again, these races, one in Virginia in the last election, one, not the last one, but the one before that, the election for uh, the determination of who would control the, the, the uh, legislature came down to one race, and that came down to a flip of the coin. So just know, know your power in all of this. So I would say the single most important thing to do is to volunteer and know the value of all of that. Thank those that you know who are doing it because they're doing this for our democracy, for the health of the American people, the health of our democracy, for the health of our planet, for our children, uh, for the future. Uh, but at this point, uh, we've been very successful with the help of so many of you in amassing the resources. We have a little way to go, but I'm not asking for that. 
What is more important now is the person power uh, to get out that vote because the vote is there. It just has to turn out. Otherwise, we're just having a political conversation, but not an effective political action. And every, again, every step you, well, step, maybe not a step this, this election, every tweet you make, every call you make, every a postcard you send, all of it, uh, every text you send can make the difference in different races around the country and the sum total. Hillary Clinton lost Michigan, what was it, Governor, by 11,000 votes? 10,704. <laughs> Out of millions of votes cast. I mean, you have that emblazoned or tattooed on your arm or something like that? <laughs> I just know it is burned into my consciousness. <laughs> well, Nancy, I, thank you so much for coming to the Big Ten. And I'm happy to see Nancy Corinne on the call. That's Hi, amazing. Nancy um, lives in Arizona. Yeah, in Arizona. Jackson lives in Houston, so that's why I'm getting the Texas report and the Houston report. <laughs> but I want you to know that uh, you have an army, as seems to be the president seems to use that metaphor. So you have an army behind you, um, particularly in Big Ten. We are uh, warriors. I can even use that one. And we um, are right behind you, supporting you 100%. Um, and we are trying to fund. So we do have in the chat or links to some of the uh, funds that we can support, uh, some of the uh, examples that Speaker Pelosi mentioned. And of course, we uh, continue to, well, our, our letter writing is over on Saturday, but we will have surpassed 12,000 letters to voters, um, which is amazing. And we are doing texting and calling uh, specifically to Barbara Boulay for a Senate in Kansas, and they're very nice women. Oh, and wonderful. She's doing well. Very, very well. So uh, we are so appreciate what you're doing. We will back you and we'll support you and Thank just you. know that uh, we so appreciate everything you're doing to make uh, a resolution in, in November be positive. And um, well, I thank you, Susan. You. Thank you. I, if I just may say one thing in closing, because you, you talked about what you all were doing, and it reminded me that at the, in the heart, hardest times of our revolution, Thomas Paine wrote, the times have found us. The times have found us. The times found them, declare independence, fight a war and win it, write our founding documents. Thank God they made them amendable and that. And we think the times have found us this time to protect what was established in terms of our democracy at the beginning of our country. Not only that, the times have found us to protect uh, what our men and women in uniform fight for. And the times have found us uh, to do what is right for our children, to address the aspirations, their aspirations for the future. And elections are always about the future for the children. And we want it to be the best possible future. And I, again, all of you taking your own responsibility. And I just say this, this personal contact is very, very important, whether it's a call or a letter or a text. It's, a, it's very, very important. Uh, since we can't all go door to door, some people can in some places, but mostly we can't go door to door. Know the power of that recognition of the person at the other end of the text, call, letter, postcard, or whatever it is. So know that the times have found us and we're going to uh, honor our founders, our men and women, 
and the, the, the dreams of, of our children. So thank you all so much. Thank you, my darling Susan. Lovely to see you. And thank you, Sue Mandel, for your uh, participation in all this, David. Thank you. And Governor, what an honor to be with you virtually, actually, intermittently, whatever <laughs> it is. You always, always, always bring so much uh, to the, any discussion. Thank you, Governor. Thank you all for coming. We'll see you all soon.